siblings in Christ, grace and peace be with you from God in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, who promises to be at work in us for the long haul, believe it or not. Amen. If there is one thing that I want you to know, that I want anyone that I talk to to know in my role as a pastor and as a human, I guess, whether you are one of my youth in confirmation or one of the kids in Wednesday school or Sunday school, or whether you are in the older, wiser Lutheran Owls group or anywhere in between, if there's one thing I would like you to know, it's that you are loved. If there was one misconception, though, that I would like to dispel, if I could do that to any of those groups and to any of you, if there was one misconception about Christianity and faith that I could be rid of, it would be this, that a life of faith does not mean an end to questions or curiosity or doubt in faith, about faith, and God and Jesus. Sometimes it seems, I think, like the Christian assumption in our world is that just saying, I believe or I want to believe should just shift us into a lane where we are locked into Jesus as a guiding light and life becomes brighter and clearer automatically and always. And we're supposed to say, just like Mary does in that song, cheerfully and readily, here I am, I'm the servant of my God, I live to do God's will. I think that can happen, but I think it's often more complicated than that. A normal part of faith and being Christian, whether it is private or public or professional, is having moments of being troubled, of having doubt and crises of faith, and that's normal. There is no on or off switch for faith and doubt, or saved or unsaved, certainty or doubt, saint or sinner. There's no switch for that. That's okay. The story of Scripture is the story of a relentless God who comes to us time and time again when people are good— and when they are not, when they are faithful, and when they are really not. And it's human to live all over the place in between those two spots, and it's normal to need help in there. Feels like we live in such an age of immediacy to me, sometimes, that we often expect results and faith and God to show up and come to us quickly, on demand, as on demand as any of our TV and media stuff do. We want to be grasping things faster and for them to arrive quickly and faster. Part of my weekends these days is helping, helping to coach K-1 basketball at school for my son Gabe's team. It is a blast. It's a lot of fun, but let me say that there is no immediacy to grasping basketball. There is enthusiasm, and there is energy, and there is eagerness to try, and those things are great, and my boys are all great, and they are all over the place, all the time. They're on offense. They're on defense. They're on defense guarding their own guys. They're on opposite ends of the floor. They're optionally dribbling, too much or not at all. There is so much stuff that goes into us, and yet it is assumed in that space, on that court, that we are all learning. We're all in different places. We want to try. We miss a rule. We fall down. We miss a pass. We miss a shot. Sometimes we fall down or the ball hits us in the face, or we're just totally in the wrong place, even maybe on the wrong court. But we all learn, and we all try, and we come back. And that is just basketball. So why, oh why, should faith, and a life of faith, which is trust in things unseen, 
in a God who is mysterious and hides, who is almighty, but whose power is made perfect in weakness, and who is most demonstrated and visible to us through a method of execution on the cross, who saves the world, but the world is still a pretty broken place. Why, oh, why should faith be something that we attain or accomplish easily or immediately? It is much more often something that troubles us, that we wrestle with, something that we need others for, but something that we can learn to find even when we've lost it. I think that's Mary's experience with the Annunciation today. We'll get to that in a second. One of the teachers that Kristen and I had in school tells the story of a seminary professor, a very faithful man who was a passer, honor of the faith, an equipper of the gospel. He taught pastors, hundreds of them. But it came to be that this professor's wife got a cancer diagnosis. It was an aggressive one, and they lived with it, and they treated it as best as they could for as long as they could, but eventually it claimed her life, and she died. And this professor tried to continue on. He tried to cling to this faith that he knew and taught and taught others to teach. But in the wake of his wife's death, he felt belief slipping away in the midst of his grief. And eventually, he approached the academic dean of the school mid-semester and said to him, I'm really sorry to do this to you and to the school, but I need to turn in my resignation because I feel like I've lost my faith. I am struggling to wholeheartedly buy into the things that I teach, and I feel disingenuous to my students and my colleagues, and I'm not sure I believe this anymore. And the dean heard out this professor and listened to him and ministered to him, and he said, I understand, and I believe you, and I will accept your resignation if that's your wish, but first— I would like you to agree to try to finish the semester. I don't want you to pretend anything. I want you to be honest with where you are and your struggles with your colleagues and with your students. And if you cannot believe, let us believe for you. Let your people here carry you, and then let's see if you can believe again. Let's see where we go. And the professor agreed despite being greatly troubled. Today's gospel story is called the Annunciation. It's the angel Gabriel's announcing to Mary that she is going to have baby boy Jesus. And usually we hold up Mary as this paragon of obedient faith, like someone who just flips a switch into firm, obedient, yes, God, here I am, let's do this, faith. And one of the ways that we hear this story of the Annunciation and the Magnificat, which is Mary's song, is from Marty Haugen's Holden Evening Prayer, which we just heard and sang a minute ago. Well done, praise team. Thank you for singing it. We often hold that service on Wednesday nights during Lent, but it's really more Advent appropriate because part of that song is the Annunciation. It starts with an angel went from God to a town called Nazareth to a woman whose name was Mary. And in that song, the angel finishes delivering this message, and then we sing, And Mary said, I am the servant of my God. I live to do your will. Which sounds so nice. And then we move into the Magnificat, right? Mary's song. Except that's not how the story goes. You sang it great. You sang it great. So thank you for that. But that song skips the part where Mary is hesitant. 
She is much perplexed, the text says, which kind of lightens the sense of the word as if Mary is just a little confused. But the Greek word means more like greatly troubled. She's distressed about this. So Mary's reaction is less of a, huh? And more of a, oh God, what is happening? Please go away. She's not just misunderstanding here. Mary is freaking out here. The angel sees this and then tries to be helpful. Tries to be helpful by clearing things up by saying, don't be afraid. And then the angel lists all of the biological, maternal, marital, political, cosmic, and salvific implications of his visit. Super helpful, Gabriel. And then Mary, this young teenager, she's probably an 8th to 10th grader, somewhere in there, who is engaged but unmarried in backwater, small town, nowhere, Nazareth, gets hit with at least seven big pieces of information in that. God favors you. You're going to have a baby. Name him Jesus. He will be great, son of the Most High. God will give him the throne of King David. He will reign over Israel and beyond forever. The Holy Spirit will make this happen, and he will be called Son of God. The first thing Mary says is nothing, because she's greatly troubled. The second thing she says is how, and asks the angel to be realistic about the mechanics of this happening. And there are so many reasonable objections for Mary about this. This is an angel. Don't just have guests like that show up anywhere, so it's fine to be nervous about this, and then some. But Mary probably thinks, I'm young, I'm unmarried, I want to get to know Joseph, this guy, as my husband before a co-parent. This pre-lock, pre-wedlock pregnancy puts me in danger, and I'm really nobody, and Nazareth is really nowhere, so what business does God have here? But the angel Gabriel may be finally reading the room and sensing that this is just a little bit of a lot to take in. Gabriel finishes by telling Mary, okay, you know what? Do you know your relative Elizabeth? Yes, that Elizabeth. She is six months pregnant, even though nobody thought that that could be possible. Okay, maybe think about going and seeing her. And finally, Mary says what our song records and says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let's do this. The angel and Mary's troubled response and questions, which are all valid, the angel tells her about Elizabeth, another woman in the family who has also never been pregnant and also never thought she'd be in this position. And maybe Mary should consider going to see her. Go find your people, suggests Gabriel, and you'll see that God is indeed at work. The story gives me three takeaways, I think, when I read it this time this year, so I'll pass them on to you this Advent. Three things. Number one is that faith is a gift, but sometimes it's a struggle and it is always a living, ongoing journey. We grow accustomed to venerating Mary as this perfect model of sudden faith, but she's troubled and questioning and only finally says, okay, whatever you say. As the story goes on in the gospel, she sings of God's praises with Elizabeth. She treasures the wonder of shepherds and angels in her heart at the manger. She also disagrees with Jesus and tries to talk him down off of some of his more controversial teachings. She will go and weep at the cross, and she will wonder at the empty tomb. It's a roller coaster, and it is messy, and so is faith very often. And Mary is an example in all of that. The Bible's stories of faith and conversion and obedience almost always include disasters, mistakes, hesitancy, objections, and period of discernment. See Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Mary, Peter, Paul, and more. 
It's holiday baking season now, and Kristen and I are working our way through the latest season of The Great British Bake Off on Netflix, finally. So allow me a baking analogy for this, too. Faith is less like a neatly cut and dried, held-together piece of pie. But faith that is black and white can be overwrought, overbaked, and stodgy. So I think what faith actually looks like is more of the piece of pie that you cut into and then you slice and pick up and have the filling all just like splurge out, right? It's messy and everywhere. It's not perfectly set. It's a little wobbly. But you get the idea of what it's meant to be and it still tastes like heaven just the same. That's number one. Number two, faith is best done in community, whether that's experience and joy, sorrow, certainty, or doubt. Whether it was in the script to begin with or the angel Gabriel punts and improvises, he leaves Mary with the implied suggestion that she should go find her people to go see Elizabeth. And then, only then, does Mary seem to take a deep breath and accept the plan that is in play. Commentator Raj Nadella writes this week, It was the assurance that another woman, someone she knew well, would walk with her during this uncertain journey that convinced Mary. Elizabeth likely understood Mary's predicament more than anybody else, and it was the prospect of a shared experience that mattered to Mary more than any of those grand promises from Gabriel. People of God, you need to find your people sometimes. Some of you have found them here, which is great, but find them wherever they are. The faith thing is easier with them. That professor I told you about earlier who lost his wife and his faith and was asked to stay on for a semester so the community could carry him and believe for him even when he couldn't? That professor stayed. He was honest about his struggles and his community and his students and colleagues listened to him and walked with him. They shared experiences with him and they didn't try to fix him, but they kept telling and hearing together the story of a God who is good, who is involved in the midst of hard things, who can be trusted even when things are hard. And this professor grew to believe again and in the promises of God, not necessarily in the same way, but differently. And then lastly is number three. In all of the struggles, questions, wonder, and joy, the promise is that God is still at work. The good news for a people of faith whose faith strengthens and wavers, is that God is always at work, and God's work doesn't depend on your levels of faith somehow. God is always reconciling people to God and people to other people, regardless of your faith. Faith just enables us to see that and to participate in that. And then the kingdom of heaven. God is at work regardless. God's activity doesn't depend on you. That's good news. It's not like an idol which gains more power the more we worship it. It's not like some of those Santa Claus movies where the magic and the sleigh don't work if the belief meter is too low. God is always at work, especially when God's children have been brought low by the cares of the world. Jesus still comes to us. God is still faithful to God's promises, even or especially when they are endangered. God waits and hears and sees that God's people need saving. And so the God of all creation, the everlasting Father, the mother of creation, maker of heaven and earth and time itself, chooses to enter into time in a particular place to a skeptical world with a troubled teenage girl by becoming a vulnerable, messy human who will take God's love to the cross and back. Because you are loved, people of God, believe it or not. Amen.
Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Farmington Lutheran Church, its ministries, and how to connect to this part of the body of Christ by going to farmingtonlutheran.com. Peace be with you.